thank you, Joel, for making time to um, to be a guest on the Full Landscape. Um, it's kind of funny how this all came about. Um, for those of you listening, uh, Joel reached out to me last week, I think it was, uh, about being a guest on the Landscaping Podcast. Um, and um, I think both of us probably had in the back of our minds to kind of communicate with each other at some point and it just hadn't happened. So um, this is our second podcast in two days, but um, now my chance to obviously highlight what you're doing. Um, so just to kick us off, can you give us an introduction you uh, around you and your business um, and maybe a brief history on the process that you've gone through to get to the stage that you're at now running in style gardens? So I'm a landscape designer and builder in Geelong in Victoria. And I've got three staff at the moment, so two qualified and a third-year apprentice. Um, so I started landscaping in 2004, so I've been doing it nearly 18 years. I uh, started an apprenticeship with one fella. He couldn't handle the stresses of running a business and having a family. So after a year and three months, he shut the business down. And then I started working for InStyle Gardens with my apprenticeship, finished the apprenticeship there, stayed on for another year or so and then decided I was going to go out on my own and then my boss offered me the, to buy the business off him so then I took it over and have run it since so he had it for six years and then I have had it for the last 12. Wow okay what um was, was, what size was the business when you bought it was it just uh it was yeah so we had built up so he um liked holidaying in Queensland every year in winter so he tried to have install gardens in Queensland and one in Geelong. So he was flying up there doing quotes and then flying back down. Um, so that was the op- when I decided to leave, that was his opportunity to move up there full time. Uh, like the business didn't work out for him up there because the workforce is a lot different in Queensland compared to Geelong. You know, they're a lot more laid back up there, whereas we work like maniacs down here. So people don't go to Brisbane to work. <laughs> the def- they, yeah, or the Gold Coast, or the Gold Coast. So, um, and so the, you've kept the, the, like the size quite small, like obviously two plus one, are you actively working on site with, with your team? Yeah. So when I took over it, it was, um, just an apprentice, I think, and me. So I took him on, but then got rid of him initially. Uh, cause I, I didn't hire him and it was a uh, different cat to, to me. So, um, but yeah, and I've fluctuated up to, so then I started by myself and then I, I had apprentices on and got a guy qualified and then went back down and realizing no one could do it as good as me, so I'll do it for myself. And then I'll do it by myself. And then I had a, um, a couple of years where I was just doing landscaping part-time, so I went and worked at a bank as well and then got back into landscaping again um, with a different mindset. Um, so I, I had five employees probably last year, I think, uh, but now we're down to three and that's the ideal size for me, I think. Um, so when you say you, you had a different mindset after working at the bank, was that because of the, your experiences at the bank? Like had you learned more about finance or you just it helped you realize something about how you wanted to run your business? No, there was because I, so I worked in, I worked my way up into business banking. So I was seeing people coming in there having no idea what they were doing and still making decent money. So I thought, oh, surely I could do it properly again because I'm good with numbers and I was a good landscaper. So it should be a good combination. Um, so, but when I was at the initial stage of the business, I was just taking on any job that came along, saying yes to everyone. It never said no to any job that came along, and didn't have any goals. I was just take just landscaping and working for myself. So then, the second after the bank, I decided I want to work on high end projects. So, um, yeah, set about a plan on how to do that, and and then achieved it. And then that's what we're doing now. So it's pretty cool when I realised that it's actually happened. What I wanted to do. Um, how long did that take? Like, was that a hard transition to go? I'm going to work on high end projects, and all of a sudden you just start working on high end projects, or no? It probably took two to three years. So, yeah, after after a, yeah, a couple of years, you get the occasional one because I knew. So, what I wanted to do was just when we get those jobs, you've got to nail them and do them awesome, so that then you can repeat doing them. So people want you to do one, and then you do a good job, so they want you to do another one, and then it just snowballs from there. So. Yeah, so it took it was after two or three years it was sporadic, but now it's um, yeah constant those jobs, and also because they're big jobs, so you don't need a lot of them to fill up a lot of time, especially for a small company like us. So do you do you tend to stay near Geelong now? Like, is that you 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 don't go into into Melbourne and the I guess the other areas? 
Yeah, I hate the traffic in Melbourne. Uh, it's yep. just not worth it because there's so much work down here. Like we're booked out for 12 months, just all yep. Geelong work. So there's no reason to go to Melbourne. And it's not like they're nicer jobs to work on either. Yep. Um, and like even today I went to uh, Hoppers Crossing, which is 45 minutes away. And that's sort of just on the outskirts of Melbourne. Yep. And as I got there, the traffic had started to build up. And it would have taken me another hour and 15 minutes to get to one yeah. of the jobs we're working in Melbourne. And I would have been driven driving 45 minutes because so, there was a traffic accident today so it just ruined your day so that was a nice reminder of, about staying in Geelong because you'd end up you'd work a 10 hour day but you spend 4 hours travelling so it's just like you could you can quote for it but it's just a horrible thing to do well I think it's important for you to work out what matters it sounds like um, you you know you clearly you clearly articulated what mattered to you and then worked towards it I don't think enough people are doing that um, and it's interesting that you had to take that break and go to the bank to get a different perspective. I think sometimes you can get caught up in that groundhog day of just going and doing the same thing and all of a sudden looking back and going, oh, uh, yeah, that was a shit 10 years or, or not, not in line with what you wanted. Um, so working on site um, and having a, having a small team, I would under or appreciate that that puts a lot of demand on you after hours. What is a day or I guess a normal day in the life look like for you? Unfortunately, there aren't any normal days. They're all, it's all just completely random because I'm horrible at organising things. So that's something I'm focusing on working on like right at the moment, trying to plan things better so, um, so that I've got boxes I can tick, know where I'm going to be each day and the guys as well so they know where they're going to be each day as well because like most of the time it's just rock up at the shed in the morning and I'll tell them what they're doing that day because I've just worked it out half an hour beforehand. So it's a bit erratic because um, it's so hard. There's so many variables with what we do, like when you're working on projects with other builders as well. So if, they, if they're supposed to do something and then they don't, it just throws up your whole day. Um, like I, I planned something a, a couple of weeks ago, what we're going to do for the next two days. And then 7 o'clock that morning, I had a call from a client saying we couldn't do that. And then 8 o'clock, I had a meeting with someone else and had to change that as well. So there were two jobs we were going to do that both had to change. So you just sort of spinning plates in the air like kind of thing um so it's, yeah it's just there's no particular day like sometimes i'll go back to the office after getting the guys set up and do some work and that's what i want to do more have an actual office day that i so wednesdays can be my office day so monday tuesday on site wednesday in the office doing quotes and designs and then back on thursday and friday and then back in the office again saturday um, so, so yeah that's an ideal world do you do a lot of work for builders? What's the, the split look like? You, do you tend to try and, what, what are you attracted to and what, what's the mix look like at the moment? Uh, that's kind of changing at the moment because so I was and, you know, attracted to the big jobs and we got some awesome designers that we work for and there's one builder who's really high end that we do work for. But um, I've realized I'm not making any money, enough money on those jobs. So I'm going back, back to where I was before I started to the smaller ones that, um, so like back in, so it was 2015 when I started this second iteration of the business and our average job around then was about 25 grand and now it's over a hundred grand and I want to get back to the 25 to 30 grand. Yeah, I was going to say as in 25 in today's money more than 25, 2015, so probably 30 to 40 more than 25, is that? Yeah, probably, yeah. Just, just jobs where you're at for two or three weeks at the most and yeah, you can't, and there's nothing, there's not like, it's a like the big job is a high risk, high reward. So you make five percent on a hundred grand, you got five grand. You make that on a smaller one, it's not a lot, but it, it can also lose that money as well. So, yeah, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to have like I'd like to have one big job going along, and then have so have two people on that one, and then have two others just ticking off small ones as they come along. So that ensures your cash flow. Um continues and I guess reduces your risk. Um, the You mentioned before you do work with some really high-end designers. What's obviously design's part of your business. How does that relationship work? And do you, you know, I guess some design, some landscapers that have a design division won't do other designers work. You, you're open to that? How does it look? Yeah, cause my, like there's, um, there's a designer for every client. So some people want, want to pay $30,000 to get a design done and I'm not the person for them. So, um, so I'm in the, the lower end. Well, not the lower end, but 
I'm below the level of that, that people are paying the designers that we're working for. Um, so and and yeah, so I'm not. I don't do a lot of designs. I'm starting to do more, but um, but I love doing other people's work because you learn from it and it keeps things interesting. So you're not doing all the same stuff all the time. Um, and the good, it, I realised I think it was about three years ago that how valuable a really good designer is because the projects just look amazing once they're done. Like there's so much things that you just a lot of clients probably wouldn't realise it, but um, people in the industry see how amazing it looks and yeah so i like working for them yeah that would make sense and it's obviously going to help your design skill advance as well if you're seeing that and they're doing it every day and they're continuing to hone their craft um is that market quite buoyant at the moment the design market like does it look like you guys as installers are going to have a very strong runway for the next 24 months yeah absolutely like we're most most landscapers are booked out for this year already and we're Writing jobs for next year as well, um, and the design. Yeah, I've spoken to a couple of designers, and they they've got six months worth of designs booked in as well. So so they've obviously worked out how long it takes them to do a design, and then booked all that in. So and that's that's just crazy. Well, if you think about it, how many like what's the ratio of design hours to construction hours? Like if, if a design takes ten or twelve hours, how many hours does it take to build that design? I, and I'm I'm curious. Like, is it ten times? Like, is it, you know... There wouldn't be a, um, a figure like that because it, could, it takes a long time to do a basic design and also a complex one. Um, so depending on... Because you can draw something. Like, if you, for example, if you draw a normal paving area using metre by five pavers and that same size area as crazy paving, it's going to take a lot longer to do crazy paving, but it takes the same amount of time to draw it. You understand where I'm getting at with it, though. Like, if you've got... Like, say there's... I don't know, 10 times as many landscape construction companies as design firms or 20 or 50 and then those landscape designers have got six months worth of work or landscape architects and designers have got that much work. Does that mean that the industry has at least 24 months of work before you guys are starting to kind of be hungry again? Or, you know, it it seems like... uh, The reason I'm asking is over here, I'm getting the same information from designers that they're so busy and the landscapers are like, if this is like it is now, I can't see it changing for 24 months. Does it feel like that over there? Yeah, absolutely. There's no like everyone. There's been there's always the doom doomsayers who say, "Oh, it's not gonna, it's going to collapse, and it won't always be like this." But, um, but yeah, I can't see how it could change in that within the two years anyway. So you you talk to a lot of landscapers, obviously, with your podcast. You talk to more landscapers than most people. You probably kind of talk to as many landscapers as I do. Um, in the time that you've spent doing that, the podcast, have you kind of found a sweet spot for a size of a landscape company from a profit standpoint um, or a model that you think works best for you or that might work best for anyone that's starting out so you know director plus three director plus five director plus admin plus designer plus seven like does anything stand out as consistently good uh staying small is what like less if you have more than five that's when you're getting into the troubling areas and so because because you haven't got you need to have a good um, a project manager running the jobs as well when you get more than that. Um, so and so you need to be able to pay that person, but you're not generating enough work to be able to pay that person. So there's a bit of a, a no man's land between say six to twenty. So you need to ha- if you're going to have that project, good project manager running things as well as yourself, then you've got to have twenty staff making enough money for for all your non-site workers. So. That makes sense. That that's consistent with what I'm seeing. It's it's two to six, and then twenty to forty or twenty to thirty or whatever. Yeah. Like I'm only speaking from um, what I've heard from people because I've I've never had more than five, but um, but I've seen what it's like to struggle with too many. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's not an uncommon story um, that I get when I'm talking to people and they reflect back on the years when they had four or six, and then they talk about the the years when they've had twelve and they've made no more money. They've just had more headaches. They've got less touch on their jobs. Their creativity has to drop because they're stressed out or, you know, I don't know what you're like with your... Do you need to be in a a specific headspace to be doing designs or can you just sit down and and draw like... And uh, early in the morning is best for me. Um, It's insane how much... Like I could do something... If I could get up at five o'clock and do something on the computer, it would take me an hour. And that same thing could take me literally three hours if I do it at night. Yeah, I'm... That makes sense to me. I'm a, I'm a um, important work in the morning kind of guy. 
I know plenty of people that, are, that, that have that ability to sit down at night and go, you know, work to one or two in the morning, but it's just not my style. Um, I just kind of, yeah, can't concentrate or I don't even know what it is. I think it's just the best energy. Yeah, sometimes I can get in the zone and I'll do a lot of stuff and all of a sudden it's like one thirty. Um, but, but that'd be only once a month. I go nuts like that. If that happens, do you wake up later or you'll just get up and at your normal time and you'll just be tired for the day? No, I'm pretty uh, lucky. Like I sleep like a log. So, and I only, like I could go to sleep at one thirty. I'll still get up, still wake up at six at the latest. So, yeah, I don't need a lot of sleep. And if you do that for a couple of days, it's not a problem? Nah, it's fine. Like when we were working on the block, we'd um, get, I'd, it was up in Melbourne, so it'd take an hour and change to get home. And we'd be leaving there, like we'd get home around midnight, and then I'd be up again at 4.30 to get up there at 6. So, and we did that for a week. That, I guess, segues into the block. I had uh, some questions further down, but um, since you mentioned it, um, what... I guess there's so many questions I've got around the block and it's not, um, I've spoken to a few guys that have done it, but not on a podcast. And I'm curious, obviously, you, I, I tell, tell us what you're comfortable telling us with, about, but how, how did that come about? Like, if you can give us a bit of detail, like how you got involved, why you got involved, what the process is, do you have to apply, do you have to get selected? Um, you know, and then I've got some questions, obviously, off the back of that. So we, um, it's, it's quite... I don't know if ironic or coincidental, but the year that we went on first, uh, I was telling people I wanted to, I wanted to go on there. So, as in, you were putting it out into the universe. Yeah, yeah, because because I I, um, I was a fan of watching the show, and yeah, I'd be fascinated to see what it was like on the on the inside. So I was telling people I wanted to get on there, um, and then I can't remember what the timing of it, but we got a message from a pool builder. Actually, it was Joel Keane who I had on. Uh, a week or two ago on our podcast, coincidentally, but he said that there was a designer looking for a landscaper, and it was might have been say the Wednesday, and they had, and we had to start on the Monday, and that was like Anzac Day, public holiday on that Monday, and then it was Easter that week as well. So there was, um, it might have been the opposite way, but there was basically public holidays all over the place, and the reason because that because they don't tell you when it's going to be landscaping week. So they did have a landscaper lined up, but he was going on holidays for the public holidays uh, with his family. So he said he couldn't do it. So then they needed someone all of a sudden. And then, yeah, just because I'd been telling people I wanted to go on, I said, we'll give InStyle a call. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And yeah, so they went, that's how we got on the first year. And then you start making uh, contacts with people. So then that's how we got on the second year. Yeah. The, um, I, firstly, I'm a massive believer and fan of, talking to people about your goals and wants and desires it's amazing how the universe will kind of conspire to make it happen and that you know if people know like there's plenty of people out there that want to see other people do well and you know they've gone well this is the guy let's have a crack and I'm also a big believer that if you get asked you just have to say yes to these things um, and make and work it out I imagine it puts a lot of pressure on your family life and your business life um, do you is there a financial compensation for the time that you spend or it's really like if you're involved you're going to get marketing benefits so you just have to take it in the hip pocket so it's uh it's up to you between you and the the contestant what your what your deal is um so yeah there's they say there's minimum amount you have to pay everyone but it's basically you send them an invoice at the end of the week of whatever you want the invoice to be Um, so i treated it like advertising and i'm very competitive so i wanted to win so i knew like i could charge them normal rate for, and all my guys charge normal rate, and then they would have no money to do anything good. So that'd just be selfish. So, and if I want to get paid the normal rate, I'll stay in Geelong. So I wanted to win, so I knew the less I charge, the more chance we've got of doing that. But I also knew that that's, it's my sort of, not dream, but I, I wanted to go on there and I get all the benefits out of being on there. So I paid my guys double time after 10 hours. So, um, so I was paying them, yeah, so I was paying them properly. Um, so I can't remember how much the first year cost, but the second year there was two weeks of it and it cost 20 grand that I paid. That's not too bad. I mean, it's, uh, some people will hear me say that and be like, You're, that's, that's a stupid thing to say, 20 grand, but you know, you do a radio campaign or a TV advertising campaign or Facebook ads, like 20 grand, it disappears pretty quickly. Like you can go on the, uh, the block shop 
to get an ad on their page or something to do with them anyway. It's like eighty grand if you got to pay. Yep. Um, so have you done it? You've done it twice. Yep. Yep. And that's it. You're done now, or like if it came up again? Uh, well, we got asked to do it last year, and I was considering saying yes, even though I'd been saying I wouldn't do it again. But then I spoke to one of my employees, and he goes, "No, we shouldn't do it." And and that was just the best decision ever because I would have because we were struggling anyway with the amount of work we had on. Um, so it would have been. So it wasn't about money. It wasn't about that you'd not be able to afford it or whatever. It was just partly that, but also it fatigues it. Yeah. Yeah. We just had too much work booked in that we were running behind on, and yeah. And then it turns out the the contestants we worked for were the the villains of the whole year. So that would have that you that you would have worked for. Yeah. Because um, and I want to do because I want to push my designs more. So I thought there'd be a good opportunity to to do that. Because previous the previous years we worked for other designers, whereas this year I would have done it as the designer and builder. But then I realised I can't do good designs when there's no budget and they've got no budget. So it would have been a double whammy nightmare because I would have done a rubbish design and we would have lost money. So and then that would have been your you know that that that's what you'd have been remembered for the design that you didn't really want to do. Yeah. So um, after those first two years, did you did it bring you work? Like, is it does it put you in the spotlight? Are people contacting you? That's my first question. And then the second half of that is, does it attract uh, shitty leads because everyone calls you? Well, the fir- after the first year, I had three calls about to build a barbecue that we did on there. Uh, they were all in Melbourne. I said, I said I'm going to charge two hundred twenty dollars to come up and do a quote, and they said, Oh no, that's all right. So. That, that would have been a waste of time anyway. Um, and then, yeah, no one else has really mentioned it. So, no, you don't get any work from it. But you don't know what you get indirectly. Well, that's what I was thinking because you look at the, like, I guess I only know who Dave Franklin is because of the block. And I imagine he would, I, I've spoken to him about it, but I imagine that he would attribute some of his leads to the block. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that, and that's that was part of the... Um, the plan of building the profile as well. So it's not it's not just with uh, customers that you want to build your profile with, but it's also designers because we want to be working with designers. So if they see us on there, then they know you exist. So, do you think there's a the blocks more suited to the people that have twenty plus staff than one to six? Uh, no, I don't think so because it's it's not wise going on there if you want to get work from it in the short term. No, it's a long term thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it'll be a lot easier for the bigger crews, but they also are less likely to do things cheaper because they're all about business because they have to be. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so the next kind of thing that, that kind of transitions off the block for me was the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show. Talk to me about your relationship with show gardens and um, what what that means to you and you know what those weeks leading up to that are like. Because you've obviously won medals, um, and you've done it a fair bit. Um, talk me through that. So that's I was, another link to the garden show, because I was going to say it without um, leading you down that path. But that's also about you think you go there to get work directly from clients, but it's actually getting your name known within the industry. So and and doing the garden show was something that that was part of my plan to build up our name to get to the high end jobs. Because I thought if anyone. Um, He's going to know if anyone wants a job done in Geelong that, that most people wouldn't know anyone down there. So that was a way of getting our name in front of everyone. But I did, the first one I did was uh, back in the initial install phase when I took it over, but it was uh, for a student gardens competition. So there was a student designer and then they need someone to build it. So we did that in 2011 and 12. And that was, yeah, just when I first did it and working with, like there was uh, Jamie Jury was building one there that year as well. Um, so it was an awesome thing to work around those people and then you get to know a lot of people from the sites around you as well within the industry and then you see the same people there the next year. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely love it. Like, But, again, it does cost money, so it's not something you can do every year uh, unless you've got a large crew where you can actually, you know, do all the jobs that might come from it. Um yeah, it's very addictive for people to do because um, it's, yeah, you start thinking of it sort of early Jan because it starts to the end of March. Yeah, what is it this year, end of March, the first couple of days of April. Yeah. Um, 
are you you're obviously not in it this year uh we were going to be so we we're gonna we was gonna be building because it was gonna be the 25th anniversary before COVID. In 2020 yeah uh, so we were going to be building one of the boutique gardens again for the guy who we built um jared from octopus design so he when we built his in tooth i don't know what year it was but it won the category so he was going to get us to build it again the same garden uh no just no they had all, so they were getting like five winners from previous years so so everyone who was going back there that year was someone who'd won best in show or won the boutique garden so it was like a best of the best um so yeah we were going to be building that like i'd um was going to be tiling the water feature at my shed on the saturday before we were starting on the monday but then um yeah, that's that's as late as they cancelled it. So I've still got the water feature sitting in my shed, taking up room. We were coming over. We had um, twenty-seven people coming on a trip to that year to come over and um, do the Thursday night with Landscape Victoria, and then Garden Friday, group dinner Friday night. We it's a trip that I like to do. Um, so we've still got those flights sitting there, and we were we played with the idea of coming this year, but it's just too complex and you know to try and get 27 people at short notice so we'll that group trip will probably go ahead in 2023 um and we'll be all over there again i am there this year um for a couple of days so um i'm not sure if i'll get into the gardens or not but depends on the policies yep but um yeah that the um the boutique gardens is a great entry for it because that's smaller than the the big show gardens um so yeah doing that was was good fun and Jared, so after it got cancelled the first year, then we were just about going to do it again the next year, but then it got cancelled again before it even started. Um, so the designer, Jared, decided not to do it this year. Um, so I'll be there, but not not building. So the 25th anniversary thing, is that still, that's this year? Yeah, but they're not really. It just kind of got glossed over. Yeah. and kind This of year, it would be interesting to see this year what it's like. It certainly will be better next year, I'd reckon. Yeah, that was my belief, and that was probably part of the reason. And I, I hate saying it because it's to, to publicly say it's kind of, you know, not not nice. But I think the reality is there's still a lot of uncertainty, and then obviously a lot of people that are really busy, like you. Um, and then you know, are people comfortable traveling? You know, uh, Victoria's obviously had a um, pretty explosive um, period of contraction. And the states, you know, well, WA definitely isn't coming, but, you know, South Australia and, and say, Queensland, the, the people might be less inclined to go to, to Melbourne at the moment, whereas in 12 months, I think they might be more inclined to go and there'll be a lot more normality, maybe. Same with businesses spending money as well. They're less likely to want to do it now than next year. Yeah, well, the money's not, not there for everyone. I think that there's this... I was talking about it. I had a meeting with my accountant this morning and I said, I expect a couple of our customers to go bankrupt this year and they don't even know who they are yet but i just feel like there's this um and i don't know who they are either but it's just the way the world is there's a lot of money in the system and then people get confident and they overhire or they overpay for their their staff and then all of a sudden the world contracts a little bit and something changes or you can't get stock so you can't finish that job you can't get your progress payments and you've been playing this game of catch-up um, on 30-day accounts for the last two or three years and all of a sudden the, that runway runs out so um, I think, yeah, this year is going to be an interesting one to watch and then hopefully 2023 makes it, it's a nice clean run in and, you know, you guys can start, you could plan for it. Um, is the block harder than Mifkus or vice versa? Which one's harder? No, the block's harder. Because you don't have so much control? Uh, it's just, there's a lot more people around because uh, you're working on a street, whereas at the at Mifka's you're working in the Carlton Gardens, so there's general, you've got your area you're working in. Whereas this, you've got um, you know you've got a park, 150 meters up the road, and then because I'm used to having my tool trailer out the front of the the site, so there's not there's that access and um, and it's actually harder than what it looks like on TV. So I thought it would be the opposite. I thought they'd ham it up a bit and make it look hard, but it's actually they make it look easier than what it is. Um, which I don't know why they do that, but. Uh, like that, that first year, we had to we built a courtyard and we couldn't start until one o'clock on the Friday afternoon. It had to be finished on Sunday morning at nine. And and what you do in that time frame is just amazing. Got and you've got noise down. restrictions. Like you can't just. It's not like you can be at your place cutting bricks and you know hope the neighbours don't call the police. Like you. No, there's a bit of that that goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that people go down to the beach with a, in a van and 
yep, get your battery tools. Oh, really? Yeah, and then and you can still you're still here at night. You're still hear noises in certain certain jobs. Is there a is there a respect there that you don't rat on the other trades? Yeah. Yep. So if a noise is if there's a noise, there isn't a noise. Yeah, I I didn't hear anything when I was there. <laughs> and the, yeah. Yeah, you do things like like we were doing everything properly. We weren't making loud noises because I was too scared to. But um, but yeah, there's other ones who have been there a lot longer. They get cocky, just, confident. Yeah, they just go nuts. Like yeah, the first year on the last night, the cops were called probably four times. I reckon. So. The first year. Yeah. Because they were just like, we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But now we, we'd use, because you can use a normal drill but not an impact driver. So you sort of pre-drill with that and then drive it in because it's not as noisy. And then we're using handsaw to cut things and fixing guns. And there's, yeah, there's certain things you can do that you don't make noise. But Would you ever try out as a contestant? Well, I, I wanted to do it before going on. But, um, yeah, I... I I realise I'm a pretty hard worker, but I've never seen people work harder than the contestants do on there. Like, so I don't think I could do it. And if you did apply, who would you go on with? Well, that's my issue. I, my wife has no chance to go on there. She's got no interest in it. Um, and none of her mates are handy at all. So it'd have to be like an apprentice or someone. Yeah. Or some like super flamboyant, like interior designer that can work on it. Yeah. Yeah. Because my, my interior design is not that crash art. So I'd be more there. Yeah, getting stuff done rather than judging the room. Yeah. What um, do, is there a reality show that you feel like you're more inclined to be suited to than that? Probably The Bachelor. I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think your wife will go on that one. <laughs> no, no, it'd Love be the block. The block would yeah. be. It yeah. makes sense to you. But um, but it's just it's just they work so hard. It's just not funny. They deserve every dollar they get. Like when you work a down per hour, like it's getting pretty crazy now what they're getting. But back in the day, I've they seen years getting, when they weren't getting anything, and you're like, yeah, Ooh. they weren't getting paid that well. They'd be getting like twenty bucks an hour when you work out how many hours they work when there's two of them going. So yeah, yeah. Is it still as buoyant? Like I, I don't watch commercial TV much, if at all. Like, is it still as popular as it, as it ever has been? Is it? Uh, I don't think so. Like the they say the ratings are, but that's, they can say what they want. Um, but they're it's it's really focused on the drama. Now, so they're picking contestants to cause drama because yeah, yeah. So they need a villain and then they, they need yeah, a couple yeah. that did yep. So yeah, a lot of people don't like that, but uh, there's obviously a lot of people who do though. So well, if it sells exactly, like people say, oh, it's a renovation show. Well, it's not. It's just a TV it's show. It's a drama. Yeah, it's home and away. To make money, with, so they'll do drills. what they want to to make money. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And that, and if you want to go and watch, like they say, there's not enough footage of the actual building getting done. I'll tell people to go and have a look at a building site and see how riveting that is. So. Yeah, just go sit there and watch it. Yeah, that's true. Um, how are you guys going with um, with stock availability and, and lead times? And, um, you know, do you are you struggling with any, any anything at the moment? Have you kind of seen any global shortage issues hit your market yet? Uh, it hasn't been too bad. Luckily, last year, we didn't build a deck at all. So we didn't, when there was timber, you couldn't get it. We didn't need it anyway. Um, we've got one coming up, but, uh, it's, you can, you can get it now if you look hard enough. Um, so there's been delays on some things, but nothing, we've been pretty lucky where we haven't had any issues that have caused us any monetary problems, but like there's things like plants, they're more hard to get than they ever have been, but you just got to substitute for something else. Did you, um, you, before we talked about you having to cancel jobs and move around, how many job sites? ideally do you have running at once and how many actually do you have running at once uh two or three would be ideal um and there's been times where we've had seven or eight going i've had twice the number of jobs that we've got staff so yeah okay and how does that work you just make sure you're kind of managing expectations of clients and just letting people down gently yeah just yeah communicating is the biggest thing um so there's no point telling everyone you're going to be at their job the next day just so that you appease them for that day. You, you're better off just being honest, saying we, we can't get there until this day, but then you make sure you get there when you say you're going to get there. Um, so there's some times where we couldn't get on the job. That's why we had that many open. We were waiting for someone else to do something or maybe been waiting for a material. But um, but yeah, sometimes you've just got to 
be honest with the, or you've always just got to be honest with the client because they're going to know if you don't turn up or not. Well, that's going to be pretty obvious, isn't it? Um, a lot of landscapers here tend to disappear uh, from you know December 21 to January 12, January 14, and then maybe have some time off in July and head to Bali traditionally or Port Douglas. What Do you have kind of a structured leave, obviously with a small team? Are you holidaying much, if at all? And do you kind of try to make sure you get away for two to four weeks a year or are you kind of just working your ass off? So the, the last two years will have been different with the Christmas break than the previous, I don't know however many, but I'd, I'd always work up until Christmas Eve till like one o'clock in the afternoon and then go and buy some presents on the way home and just, yeah, not deliberately, but just because I was always saying yes to every job that I should have been saying no to all the jobs in December because you can always fill out December even if even in November if you want to. There'll be people looking for, to get stuff done. So I learned from that. So then the last two years we finished a week before Christmas. So you've got that whole week off and then Christmas because it felt like um, we were finishing, like I was finishing Christmas Eve and then you've got the family things and it's all, all sort of doing this and that and then all of a sudden you're back at work again on the 4th of Jan. So... Yeah, this year we had we finished on like the seventeenth and then started back. I think it was on the tenth of January, so we had three weeks off, off there. Um, uh, but throughout the year, the, I let the guys go whenever they want. Like one, um, my third year apprentice, she had time off in January, I think it was, or February. She only just got back a couple of week or two ago, but she had three weeks off then. So, um, yeah, they can go whenever they want because I I think their life is more important than work, so I don't want to dictate when they have their holidays. Other than those, like, and they were actually going to be working through Christmas, like she was going to work through the Christmas break, but the stone that we were going to be laying wasn't available, so she had to have time off. But there was stuff, like she was going to work then so she could use the holidays when she was actually wanting to go on holidays. Yeah. Was there COVID fatigue um, for your team? I noticed a lot of the guys here that last, so the 2021 calendar year, because of the amount of money in the system from the government support, as well as people not traveling, the industry was buoyant as, and everyone is understaffed and overworked. Was it the same for you? Did you feel tired at the end of last year or was it a normal year or how, I mean, it was yeah, a normal just, year. Just normal, normal amount of fatigue, which is quite high at the end of the year. But um, yeah, when I'm usually around December, the start of December, I'm starting to realize that I need I need time off because I don't have much during the year. Like we certainly didn't. Like we had a holiday booked for middle of 2020, so we didn't didn't end up going on that. Um, so that's going to be the middle of this year going to Noosa. So, um, yeah, that's yeah. But we haven't. Yeah, I haven't spoken to the guys directly about it, but they haven't mentioned anything about being exhausted or anything more than normal. <laughs> More than normal. Um, what, what was, I guess, I haven't had a lot of chance to talk to Victorians about the impact of two years of heavy lockdowns. I mean, you guys had in the hundreds of days of lockdowns. Was you being in Geelong different or you were just as impacted or were you able to work differently to the, I guess, greater Melbourne yeah, or the so, city of Melbourne? Well, landscaping was like, was different to the majority. So the majority of the lockdowns were for like hospitality and retail um, they would like hospitality's probably had every one of those 270 days or whatever they were, but and then but then regional Victoria is different to Melbourne, so well, there's been I think it was it's either five or eight days throughout the whole pandemic that we couldn't work, and the rest we were able to to work. So the first lockdown we were lucky because we were working on a job where the client wasn't living there, so because there's there's been times where you can only work on unoccupied sites. Um, so yeah, we've been extremely lucky the whole the whole way through. Yep, yeah, that makes sense. And what Geelong is considered regional Victoria. Yep, so we're <laughs> we're an hour hour from Melbourne. It doesn't look like regional Victoria, but it is a region. Uh, uh, so. Academy, it's pretty pretty uh, pretty country. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I plan to come past there in two or three weeks, so that that um, I'll obviously be able to see for myself. Um, is there a, I guess, a product or an up-and-coming product or a technique that you're kind of obsessed with at the moment? You kind of, the industry doesn't move too much, and especially, I mean, I've got more um, view on the irrigation industry than the landscape industry. But what do you, what kind of excites you about products or, or techniques at the moment that might be coming? Uh, well, we've started doing um, 
the architectural concrete ourselves. So we'd previously get other people coming to do that. Um, but then, yeah, the Hungry Wolf did a course and I did that course and it gave me enough confidence to have a crack at it myself. And then, yeah, I've had a couple of tries at it and got better each time. Um, so now I'm at the point where I, I know what I was doing wrong with the mistakes and I'd be happy to do one for a client. So, um, yeah, that's that's been like a a trend for quite a while, that kind of concrete. So there's a lot more people doing it now than were initially. And I just added us to that list as well. And you rate that course? Yeah. Yeah, it depends who you are. Like there's, if you're, if you're a good concreter, there's probably no point doing it because you might not learn anything. But, um, but yeah, if you're a landscaper and you can, can do a little bit of concreting, then that'd sort of take you there. You'd have enough skills to be able to do it after doing it. Yeah, I've been, I started messaging Ollie in August about doing a podcast and um, I've just been really bad at communicating with him about it. So I'm grateful that he's still talking to me about it. <laughs> we'll hook it up soon. I've got this question that I ask a lot of people um, that if you were able to go do any other job in the world and you could just go do it, you'd have the skills to do it, you'd go to the country to do it. Um, is there something that stands out to you that you would have, that you'd like to, to go do instead of what you're doing? And if so, what is it and what country would it be? Uh, my dreams always to be a professional sportsman when I was growing up, the cricket or football, that was, that's all I cared about doing. Um, like whenever teachers ask me what I want to do, that, that was it. And when they told me that's not a realistic like realistic decision, so I told them, "You watch me." So it turns out they were right. But but uh, but there's other people who do want to do that, and they do it. So that that's what it would be. So what? Play cricket for Australia? Yep, or football for St Kilda, so in the AFL. Um, and yeah, I was pretty decent. Obviously, you don't start thinking that if you're useless at sports, I'd imagine. But so I did a lot of representative sides. But I think if I had uh, a wiser brain i would have had more chance of doing it if i yeah you didn't take it too ethic. seriously yeah yeah um yeah drank too much when i was younger so killed all my brain cells and yeah, lost lost me ability so yeah i resonate with that yeah, so <laughs> that's uh yeah that's there's there's nothing else that i would want to do other than that um because like and yeah it's hard to think of any other like real career uh, in air quotes, but um, but I did try to get into uni to be a tourism operator uh, after school because I went on a Kentucky tour to New Zealand. I thought oh, this would be pretty cool. This guy just travels around with all these uh, hot babes on the bus. Uh, I could do that for work, but I uh, didn't get into uni. So landscaping, it is. Um, you could be a bus driver and do yeah, that guy. So that guy's from Australia as well. So that would have helped, but no, nah, didn't get in there. I do have my heavy heavy vehicle license now, though. So well, there you go. There's that. a retirement plan. You go drive Kentucky buses in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your wife would be really supportive of that. <laughs> um, obviously, I, I don't, I, we can't do a podcast without talking about your podcast. Um, as far as I know, we're the only two that are actively doing landscaping-based podcasts in Australia. I don't know if there's anyone else. I'm, I don't say deeply across it. Uh, Landscape Victoria um, do one as well. Okay, there you go. I didn't know that. I probably should have a look at that. Um, why, 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 why podcasting? What, what was your thought process? Um, what got you into it? So I love listening to podcasts. Like I listened to yours from episode one, um, and yeah, loved that there was actually a landscaping podcast in Australia. Um, so I listened to business podcasts, um, sports ones about the NFL, like all sorts of just random things. Because I never listened to the radio at all, so I've always listened to them. And then I was listening to one landscaping or gardening podcast and there was a lady on there she was a bit of a plant nerd and i found it interesting because i'm not much of a plant nerd but i do like my plants as a, for a landscaper and there's a guy i knew uh, from better homes and gardens like he was behind the scenes he's a, a big plant nut so i thought it'd be fascinating to hear his interview on their podcast so i was going to message them and suggest him as a guest but then i for some reason thought i'll oh, just interviewing myself so that was where the idea came to do it so yeah he's in new south wales so i thought i'll do a road trip up there interview him and hook up some other people while i'm there and um so i did so i drove up there and did five interviews while i was there over a weekend and then i was originally going to release it every fortnight but i loved it so much that i did it, did it weekly and have done it weekly since apart from a break over christmas so we're up to about 38 episodes i think 
Yeah, it's a bit addictive. I, I, I don't have the patience to let them release it on a certain day. I'm like, edit this podcast and post it now. Like, it just needs to get out there. Um, I had that same kind of intention to do one a week or one a fortnight and it just, six or eight weeks goes by and you're like, oh, no, we need to do a podcast. And like we talked about yesterday, I don't know if it was on camera or off camera, to be out, you just have to be booking guests. And if, you, if you've booked the guest, the rest is easy. It's just about getting that, that booking locked in yeah that's um, a hard thing to do so that's I, I try to have at least one or two weeks in advance um but then this week i didn't have any for for this week so then i scrambled and send out that's when i send out five messages yeah and then you'll lock in another five yeah luckily all five said yes so it's good to have them all banked up and then i can just do one a week from there and if you miss a week it doesn't matter because you've, you've got another spare three weeks but we just had um paul bangay on the week before I started asking everyone, so I think he might have a bit of a influence on people saying yes as well, because people like that gives a lot more credibility when someone like him comes on. Yeah, one of my staff um, said that they listened to that because he he's like a massive fanboy of Paul, and then um, he's like, "You should do Paul," and I'm like, "I don't." It's interesting. Cause I think we talked about this yesterday. Like, I I will happily interview whoever, like I'm always curious to like, to learn from different people and the fact that you've got three staff or a hundred staff um, doesn't make you any better or worse than the other person. It's kind of like a, it's a unique perspective and if you've got good balance in your life and you're happy, then, you know, maybe that might benefit someone who's got 18 staff and they probably should have five. Um, but I guess the reality is there are these goal podcast guests that people are going to, you know, if you do a podcast with them, people are going to listen. So it makes sense. Yeah, um, but I've also had people who I didn't know, but I interviewed them because someone message, uh, recommended me to interview them. Um, so, so I'm always scared about those ones because I'm a landscaper, not an interviewer, but I'm getting better as I go. But um, but I, I worry that I'm going to run out of questions or sound like an idiot. But some of them have been the best podcasts because you, you're generally finding out about them as you go. So like that, and that's why like I love doing them because I'm genuinely intrigued about their story and how they got to where they are and what they're doing. Well, everyone's got their own unique perspective about the world, and you know it's it's cool. Like, and I mean, it gives you a great opportunity to meet different people. Obviously, I asked you before about you know the perfect size um, of businesses and and kind of what you've learned from it. What else has surprised you about the podcast? Like, what what surprised you, or um, maybe what what else have you learned by by doing it? I don't know if I've learned much because like the, there was a lot of people are um, hesitant to come on. Like some have said they flat they flat out won't come on because they don't like the sound of their voice or don't want to be on camera or anything like that. But there's also been ones who were, didn't want to come on in an ideal world, but they do, and then they realise it's a lot better than like it's not nothing's as bad as they think it's going to be, like because it's just like two people having a chat and it just so happens to be being recorded. That's not like in front of a studio studio audience where there's actually people looking at you. Like you might, you'll have a lot of people listening, but it's not while you're talking. So, um, but yeah, there's nothing that's surprising really. I sp- oh, unless, I suppose a lot, like there's hardly anyone that says no. So everyone is really, really good to work with and like they're keen to get involved, even though like there's no, potentially no value to them in coming on. Um, but I read the book back in the day, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and that's all about people like talking about themselves. So, yeah, I, honestly, it's the easiest way to meet people. Can I, do you want to be on my podcast? Yep, what do I need to do? Just talk about yourself. I'll ask you questions. There's no wrong answers. It's, yeah. it's, it's your, your, your answers. It's, um, it's a good, um, I think it's a good thing, a networking thing as well, like to be able to spend an hour talking to someone and, and highlighting, you know, one of the things that I, like I said, like I said to you yesterday, I've really, like, my early podcasts weren't about the client enough. Um, and I really make sure at the start of a podcast to get myself into a space where I'm like, make this person the hero of this podcast. Make this person the hero. It's their story. Let them share their story. Don't, you know, you just have to kind of throw them up these, these you know, home runs and let them hit them out of the park. Um, and I almost feel like I need to go back and re-podcast those guests to let them, to let them actually be the hero. Um, what in business? If you're, do you have a mentor or um, you know landscapers or designers that you're looking up to, or that you might contact if you're struggling with someone that you wanted to talk through something? Have you, do you still stay in touch with your original boss? 
Uh, not so much him, but there was a guy who worked with us at the time who's running his own thing now. Um, so he's 53 and he's still on site every, pretty much every day. That's how you stay fit. What's that? That's how you stay fit. You just keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be uh, the size of a house if I stop being on site. That's, <laughs> that's my, only, my only weight loss routine. But, um, but so, yeah, there's, there's him and there's another guy who's, who's run a business for a long time. So there's a couple of older guys in the industry, but... Um, but yeah, they're like I was talking to another a landscaper in the UK, and he was saying how unhelpful the older guys are because they don't like the way young people are doing things. But in Victoria, everyone is they couldn't be better. They couldn't help you any more than they than they do. They're just all they're interested about is helping the industry. Yeah. What's the goal with the podcast? Have you got any kind of like bucket list guests that you just like that that you? dreaming to have on or you can't no, just take it Paul Bangay would have been the the top guest and yeah I'd have sent him an email and he goes I said would you be interested in coming on he goes yeah no worries I'll we'll hook it up so how did you yeah, was, the, was the preparation for that different to any other podcast nah no, nah, I just literally just sent him an email, the same email I send or text I send to people's Instagram just I'll let them know what the what the podcast is about um, and yeah it's just pretty straightforward um, I, I did ask Jamie Jury to come on early days, but he didn't get back to me. So it's uh, his loss, that is. I um, I spoke to a few of the people at Mifcus two years ago about being guests and we had our camera over there and we were kind of doing some interviewing and the ones that have relationships with Channel 9 or whoever, Channel 10, were a little bit more reluctant to do something without getting signed off to do it because of potential agreements that they have with yeah, right. with their existing media people. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to get people from overseas though because there's like some of the podcasters I listen to or um, yeah, because I think they're good value. So if I can give a bit the audience a bit of a glimpse of them, if, the, if they like the cut of their jib, then they'll listen to theirs as well. Yeah, I sent an, a, a DM to a US landscaper recently. I, I like was like, that, yep, that's going to go Gonna, I haven't had heard anything back, but I imagine, you know, unsolicited DM on Instagram from Australia, who knows? So um, I think I'll probably need to start kind of coming in from another angle and maybe emailing them or finding, you know, for us, we've obviously got irrigation wholesalers that we deal with here that are international businesses. So I can reach out to them and kind of go through the back door and say, can you find me access to, you know, some commercial landscapers in Florida that you know, do a lot of irrigation that might be open to doing a podcast. So um, I think it's just, you just got to try a different, a different way. Have um, you got a dream guest? Not really. Like I just, I've never really worried too much about it. Like, um, you know, the, I just want to keep doing it. I think that's probably the, the, the key. Like, and I, like I said, I, I want to be actually, I want to be asked to be a guest more. Like I, I love doing the podcast, but I never. I very rarely get asked to do a podcast. Um, I feel like I've got a lot to talk about, um, but it's not fair to do it this way. Unless I just do my own podcast and I just sit there and talk for an hour. Well, some of the, the <laughs> ones I post- listen to in the US, sometimes I'll have guests on, but a lot of times they'll just be talking by themselves, just giving advice. And, um, they go for 45 minutes just talking by themselves, which I have no idea how they do that. But yeah, that, that's fine to me. I mean, when I started doing In the Car with Clint, I was there was 20 minutes of me talking about just my ideas on stuff. So I don't, I, I don't think I'd have a problem pumping out a 45 minute podcast. Um, I think the conversation style suits my personality better. I want to have someone to bounce ideas for, off of, especially when you get a guest um, like you, who's, um, who's aware of the, the concept or the process and, you know, is easy to talk to. And then you can kind of actually have a conversation and go, well, Hey, um, what do you think about this? And oh, I've got a differing opinion on that, or I've got differing different experiences around this. Um, what's your, I guess, what's the goals moving forward for business? Are you happy with the size, and you just want to continue doing that, and then retire and live happily ever after, or what's the plan? Now, my goal is to make money, which I have been struggling to do. Which sounds sounds crazy, but uh, yeah, I've been struggling massively. Even though we've got all this work on, being busy doesn't mean you're making any money if you don't quote the jobs properly. Um, so like on, I just had probably what's my first anxiety attack on Sunday night because I was paying all my bills and then, um, then I was freaking out thinking I'm going to have to tell the guys 
on Monday I'm going to shut the business down because I was I was called I don't know how we're going to get out of it. And then I realised oh there is actually eighty grand worth of invoices I haven't sent out, so that would probably help over the next few weeks. But um, but yeah, just that's literally what I'm doing now is just trying to real fine tune things. I don't care about the type of jobs we get. I just want to make money off them. Because um, yeah, because I got in you, to get the jobs we're doing now, like the high end jobs. You've kind of got to buy the buy them a little bit um, to get them, and then once you get them, then you get a name for doing them. Um, so I'd probably cost myself more doing that than I'd realised. Um, and, and so then, because then if something goes wrong, then there's no like it hurts a lot more than if you plan on making a good profit on it. So it's yeah, so crazy. I don't think you're on an island there. Like I'm talking to guys here who are, you know, there's so much money in the system, and everyone's busy. But not everyone's making money. Um, and I think there's a combination of things. Obviously, you're a landscaper you, before you're a business person. Um, and no one really teaches you the business side of it. You kind of just work it out by, you know, kind of feeling your way through it. But then we've been impacted by price rises on a lot of products. People are quoting, like you're saying you're busy for the rest of this year. The job you start in September this year, uh, is there contingencies in place to cover price rises that you're going to be impacted by between now and then? No, so I've lost money like on steel pergolas. Before you I, even start? Yeah, yeah. Um, what are you doing? Not, like, is there anything you're going to do about that or are you just, you're going to uh, just, just go, well, that's... Assuming that there's going to be a price rise of 10 to 15% on every job that I quote. So so my quotes are a hell of a lot higher now than what they used to be. So I'm just putting my prices up a lot. So they'll allow for it. If it doesn't happen, good. If it does... I would suggest... Up based on my knowledge of what we're dealing with, I'd say 30% is probably a more safer number for November. I hope that doesn't upset you. <laughs> no, because I don't want to, because I don't ask the client for the money because if it goes the other way, I don't give it back. You're to not going to give it back. Yep. So it's, you can't, you can't t- do one and not the other. Why not? Because that's not uh, a decent, what a decent person does. That's one of my issues as well because I care more about people than money. Um, so I'm, I'm, yeah. There's, there's things I would have done. I could, I could be wealthier, but I'd have less of a reputation and less um, relationships with people. Do you think that's true? Like, do you, do you honestly yeah. believe that that they would have that you would have a, a worse relationship with someone because you made profit? A thousand percent, because it's because it's putting putting money over over people. Like I've uh, kept people on kept people employed for too long because I don't want to have them to have to look for a job. So, um, yeah, I've, st- I've stopped doing that now and because I've got to, yeah, start treating them more like a business. And because, yeah, there's no point looking after one person because that person, because then you're not actually looking after four people, yeah, when you think you're looking after one. So you're not looking after them by keeping them on if they're... If they're no, you're, you're looking after one and hurting three or four. Well, you're um, still hurting that person anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Just the, it. And look, you run your business how you see fit, but I think that you could put prices up when they go up and not give that back when they go down. I don't think that... Yeah, that's You know, what people, people would even know. You know, like if you buy better, we do it all the time. We win a job and then we go negotiate and we buy better and we make more profit. Um, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm assuming that the prices are going up. So that I'll, I'll quote on that as though it is. And then if it does, then I've covered. If it doesn't, then... If I, was, if I was landscaping now, I'd be writing it into my contract that... But you this, can't. What, legally you can't? Yeah. What, that if you are impacted by price rises that you will pass that on? Uh, there's, it's, not, it's not as simple as that anyway because you've got to use a, a contract that's, um, yeah, that's been written up by a lawyer basically. So, And it's got to meet all the different regulations of the building contracts act and it's not a it's not a simple thing we're just adding a clause in there uh, i would find a way around it just requote the job a week before you do it <laughs> but i get it like everyone does their own thing um with, with regards to you improving the way the business runs and the profitability are you working with anyone on that or are you just kind of like just listening to books and podcasts and just testing things and trying to work it out yourself no, nah, just trying to just do, doing it myself, working out, listening to I guess I have on. So like I've heard all everything that I need to do. I just need yeah, to implement it. it. Yeah. So 
um, one of the things I'm doing is making a, uh, being more organized and making a plan of everything I'm doing each day. Um, cause I get re- too overwhelmed with the amount of things I've got to do. I could just, I could sit at home for a week and still not run out of the paperwork I've got to get done. But I've also got to do stuff on site to, to bring the money in. Um, so I'm starting to work out a plan. I'll write down in my diary, these are the calls I've got to make at 10 o'clock in the morning or whatever. And these are the things I've got to do when I get home and then keep transferring that list across if I don't do it. Um, so then I can write it down and cross it off when it gets done so I can see that I'm achieving something and um, not just thinking of it in my head. Are you, things as well. are you using any software to manage that kind of thing or it's just pen and paper? No, we use Trello for our jobs. So we'll have the plans on there and the client's details and, and we'll put checklists on there that we can check off. Um, but yeah, nothing. I don't use anything else. I use QuickBooks for my accounting, but nothing. I don't use it for quotes or invoices or anything like that. Trello, you mean, or QuickBooks? No, nah, QuickBooks for the accounting. But um, but yeah, all, all my quotes and invoices are just a piece of paper. I don't use it any software for it. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. The um the Trello you could probably use for your managing your mind. Um, yeah. But it's very hard for someone like I'm. 40 in October and I, my generation or my, I bridge this gap of comfortability with paper and comfortability with technology. Um, and so I find it easier to have a list of written things down. Um, but then I've also got this, we use Asana, which is similar to Trello from a tracking point of view. Um, and I've got a lot of tasks in there, but then I just don't go look at it. So it just sits there in the background, but I make my team use it. So yeah, my notes um, app in my phone is full of stuff. But yeah, because I think because I plan on writing it in there and then I'll delete it when it's done. But there's a I, I scroll up the amount of things that are in there. Whereas if I did write it down in my diary, then I can cross it out. Yeah, because I'm yeah only three months younger than you. Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. So you you're understanding where I'm at. I'm actually yep. built. I've built a planner. Where's that book? Can you chuck me my planner? I've, I'm building one out. One that's ready. I'll send you one. Um, I've kind of I've been trying to work out a way to to. No, that's not it. Where's my bag? I'll see if I can find it. But I've, I've been put working on this planner called the Hectagon 100 because obviously Hectagon's our company, like the, um, the $100 million goal. And so I've come up with this planner that I want to be able to use for my team to be able to kind of track what they're doing. Now I'm just causing trouble in a podcast, like getting Duffy to... Oh, it's just there on the table. So the idea being that if you can sit down at the start of your, you know, your 100 days, this is just a shameless plug for my planner, um, sit down at the start of your... Actually, probably shouldn't show you the world that. I'll show you that. Duffy won't show anyone that. So you go through and write down the 100 ideas that you want and then that you want to do or the 100 things that you want to achieve in the next 100 days, which is probably your notes app um, of all the things that you want to do. And then each day has a calendar and the top three absolute must-dos and then seven things that you should do so that you kind of... And then there'll be a phone call section and then there's a bit of stuff around KPIs and there's a bit of stuff around values that you want to focus on. Like I think um, you probably touched on it a little bit like with the, 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 you know, before the bank and after the bank, you weren't working in line with any strategic plan or values. You were just taking jobs and doing them. And I think if you can get clear on your values and, and what you're willing to, the kind of people you're willing to work with and the kind of things you're willing to do and whether or not you're willing to extend credit to people and whether or not you're willing to bend the rules or whatever. If you're clear on what your values are and then you, you can write down what your goals are, it, it makes it a bit easier. But I feel like for me, it's it's going to be a pen and paper thing yeah. um, so, so that I've got this book that I can kind of carry around. So when it's finished, I'll send you one. We're still working on it. but um, It sounds similar to what I do in Madara though. Like there's things yeah. that I have to get done. Yep. And there's things I want to get done as well, but yeah. Yep. Yep. And then obviously you try to just stay focused rather than disappearing into a rabbit hole of internet <laughs> memes. Um, <laughs> I do find myself doing that sometimes. I'll be looking through and then I'll go into the comment section and seeing the stupid comments people are writing and think, what have I read this for? And just get out of it. Yeah, I deleted Facebook from my phone. Um, I don't spend much time on Instagram anymore. I'm probably spending the majority of my time on TikTok. I'm probably going to delete that from my phone. Like, if you, what's the saying? If the product's free, you're the product. And I've got too many things that I wanted to that I want to achieve in a short amount of time to be spending too much time in those apps. But I also need to understand the apps well enough to 
know how to advertise in them and use them for business. So it's this kind of like continuous balance um, for me. So um, I don't have any more questions for you. Um, I really appreciate um, being able to sit down with you both yesterday and today and have a chat. Um, this is, you know, like I said before, it's beautiful to be able to then have another friend that you can kind of contact and catch up with, obviously, when we're in um, Victoria at the end of the month. Is there anything that you've got coming up or anything you want to promote? I mean, I'm assuming the podcast, anyone that's listening to this one, make sure you head over and find your podcast and um, subscribe and, and have a listen. Is there anything no, else you want? No, that's all. Like, I, I probably should do something like a some sort of course or an ebook or something because people ask me, what is the podcast like directing people to, to something you're selling? So now nah, I'm just, just doing it because I like talking to people about landscaping. So, um, yeah, there's nothing, nothing I'm selling or pushing. That's more pure. I think it's good. And I think that it, at some point, if you've got a following and then you, you feel like that, you, you know, you want to ask for support in something, then you've got the audience to do it. And, you know, you've, you've always done it for free and you've never put your hand out. And then there might be that one time when you're like, hey, guys, a um, friend of mine's got a um, fundraising thing they're doing. You know, I've never asked for anything before. If you can get behind them and donate 10 bucks, it would mean the world to me. And I think that. You'll, you'll, there'll be a period in time where you'll, you'll, you'll want something in return and then you'll have this audience, even if it's only a small audience, which is, you know, I feel like there's, it's a very micro niche, the landscape business podcast, um, but they're the audiences that are going to listen to every podcast that you do. So. Yeah. And I was initially, I initially did start it because I wanted to also, because um, I applied to be on selling houses as they, when they had, were looking for a landscaper and didn't get that. And then I thought, I'll, yeah, start yeah, doing this and then, then I might build a profile, but then I soon realized that I don't have the right personality for TV. So really? just happy to keep it on yeah. Who told you I that? Just, uh, me, because I can hear myself the way I talk and I mumble. So it's just not. I think you're yeah. being harsh on yourself. I think you just need, I don't know if you've got a six pack or not, but just get that shit sorted out and just walk around with your shirt off all the time because you're very pretty. So. Can't see it. Can't see it through my hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. Um, Duffy will edit this in like two minutes and it will be up on the internet. Um, tomorrow. tomorrow, maybe. Who knows? Well, you'll be out before, before yours goes up. Definitely. We don't mess around, but we have a team. So. <laughs> Um, and he's got KPIs and he's also um, trying to get citizenship so if he messes around I'll just ring the federal government <laughs> thanks man alright thank you very much <laughs>